What's up, what's up? Welcome to the At Last Podcast, brought to you by the Advantage Podcast Network. It's your boy, Chris Bates, along with my buddies, Kristen Ross and Adam Katie, for our next episode. We got a great guest with us today. Going to talk about some things that I don't think are talked about nearly enough, particularly in our profession of athletic training or sports medicine as a whole. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but this is a very critical topic. And as, as I have conversations with different professionals in other specific settings, I realize that this is a very underrepresented and a very necessary conversation to be had. So Adam, who we got on deck? Oh man, I'm excited. Um, we have Alicia Pennington with us today. Ooh, ooh. She doesn't even really need an introduction. No intro. I'll throw yeah, I'll throw some things out. You probably already know her from her successful podcast. You may know her from The Biggest Loser. She has degrees from Florida State and Cal State Fullerton. Titan Nation. So we got to big up that. But Alicia is a, a good friend of the show and colleague and business partner for us for a long time. And so Chris and Kristen, welcome Alicia today. Yeah. Welcome, welcome. I wish I had the <laughs> <laughs> on deck. <laughs> Foghorns are always a nice touch, but thank you guys for having me. I am uh, really excited to be part of this conversation and um, I'm, I'm thankful that you guys found a way to weave me in because I otherwise maybe not have, uh, wouldn't have been on for your guys' episodes. So thank you. For sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, Alicia, this is, so let's talk about this a little bit. You said you're glad we found a way to weave you in. The truth be told, because of who you are and who, who your company and what your company stands for, and you know, we know you and your husband and what you guys represent, I think you guys kind of weaved yourselves in. And, and specifically what I mean by that, I don't think any of us had any idea the extent of how integral the weaving in process would be. But on the surface, it looked like you guys just being who you are and stepping up to the plate mm -hmm. to serve. So I want you to tell our listeners and talk to everyone a little bit about when you heard about At Last podcast idea, Adam had mm -hmm. had a few conversations with you. Um, and then the next thing Adam tells us is, oh, go ahead, Adam. What, yeah. Let's just talk about the topic today. We're going to discuss diversity and inclusion and how that improves, propagates business, and is a win for everybody included in business. Got it. But, I, but okay. I do want Alicia to share what you asked. The, the two go hand in hand. <laughs> so go ahead, Chris, what you want me to touch on. Yeah, tell us, when, when Adam brought to you this idea, hey, we want to start this podcast called At Last, I want to know personally, what were your thoughts and conversations amongst one another and why you guys decided to step up the way that you did? And maybe you can actually, you know, um, we can talk a little bit about how you guys stepped up, but sure. the more important piece is the behind the scenes stuff about why and, you know, talk to us a little bit. 
Yeah, so I received an email from Adam, and I think that the email was probably something that was sent to close colleagues of his. I, I didn't receive this email with the inference in any way outside of just, hey, I have this initiative that I am trying to spearhead, and I'm sending it to people who I thought would be interested in knowing about this initiative. And the call to action was to donate to a GoFundMe. And the initiative was, um, you know, in, in essence, that there is a lack of representation of Black athletic trainers and kind of juxtaposing that to the fact that majority of who we serve are Black athletes. And so the my understanding of the initiative was that the GoFundMe was in place to fund positions for Black athletic trainers. And I've come to a place in my understanding and in my life that I know money is only so much. Uh, and what I mean by that is I have a platform, I have a voice, I have resources that I could make available that have the potential of having a lot more impact than donating money to the GoFundMe. And not in a way in to discount a, a donation to the GoFundMe, but I thought I can I can prop the, these guys up in more ways, a more effective way. Um, and because at the bottom of the email was, we're going to be starting a podcast because this is necessary conversation in the profession and, you know, keep an eye out for it. So in the background of me receiving this email, we were already going to be starting a podcast network. We had a few people that had shown interest in coming online with us. And we had already had discussions around what this was going to look like. Da, da, da. So. I approached my husband, who is a black man, and I said, and Alicia, "How do you identify ethnically?" I'm a I'm a white woman. Yeah, For our listeners who can't um, see. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Um, and I, I said, you know, I, I want to offer and extend this opportunity to Adam. At this point, I, I I don't know if I knew that Chris and Kristen were involved. I may have, um, but the other kind of I think precipice that was happening at this time is, you know, we're in 2020, the conversation around um, racial injustices and just the general, I guess, kind of zeitgeist, if you will, around socially, we are moving towards conversation and action of how do we do a better job of this? And I, I know there's only so much I can do as a, as a white woman, but there's also a lot that I can do as a white woman. Yeah. Part of that is propping up other voices and using my platforms, using my resources, giving permission to other people to speak. It doesn't always need to be my voice. And that was part of the effort behind the podcast network was I want to elevate other voices, but that was a blanket statement. It, other voices in other settings, other voices, you know, that are just not mine. Um, and I thought that your guys' initiative was very in alignment with who we are, what we stand for, 
I know Adam. I trust Adam. I knew about you guys. I trust you guys. I mean, Titans. Hello. <laughs> um, we got a but, we got a rebel you know, amongst us as well. <laughs> we like rebels. We, we there's one there's one in we every could group, be rebel- right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So you know, we hopped on a call with you guys, and I think it just flowed. Um. For me, a lot of the decisions I make in business and and thereby in life is about feeling. How does it make me feel? Is there friction? Is there alignment? Um, Do I feel good about it? And it was easy. It was an easy answer yes to you guys uh, when we had that first conversation of how can I extend myself? How can I extend, you know, like I said, my platform, my resources so that you guys have an immediate audience the minute that you press record. The minute that you go live, you have a distribution channel. You have a, you know, a network of people that we can blast this to because I believe in what you're talking about and it's necessary conversation. And you know, I guess to what you're saying, Chris, like we weaved ourselves into you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and we were we were thrilled about it and we were able, you guys enabled us to just kind of take off right away, you know, just with this, I think first and foremost, just the support. Um, and then to come and, and back that up with things that actually cost money, right? So you guys did, you're, you're, you are contributing financially too, right? So there's this idea of, so it's not just finance raising or fundraising, this is resource raising, right? And that's, that's a topic that, again, we could talk about later, but I think just knowing what your resources are, I mean, that's even a critical thing in business too, right? Knowing that it's not, you can, you can exchange not just money, but you can exchange other things. So Adam, steer us to how we want to get to some of the things we want to talk about. Well, since one of our words today is weaving things, we'll weave in why diversity in business makes you a more profitable and successful business. Before we get to that, I just want to say, Alicia alluded to the email. I sent that email to close contacts who I knew would potentially support us, but also who are trusted sources of things related to athletic training, to business, to sports medicine. So people I regard as experts on topics. But we also sent it to some other stakeholders. Some people didn't even respond to the email, which to me was just really disheartening because you wouldn't be surprised at the people who didn't respond, Alicia. Well, we're not here for smoke today, but... Nope, no smoke. <laughs> but I'm surprised at people that just did not respond. Alicia and Maurice responded within like five minutes or something with, we love it, yes, we'll support in some way, let's have a conversation, but essentially we're in. Like, we're, we're jumping on the boat. Some people didn't even just look at the boat, <laughs> which is surprising. <laughs> so... What we want to talk about today is how diversity matters in business. And there was a recent McKinsey report, it came out in 2020, and they looked at over a thousand large companies that McKinsey consults with. So McKinsey is is a huge business firm that does a lot of research and tracks numbers and tells businesses how they can improve and improve their processes. So they followed a thousand companies and and they actually started this in 2015 with a report called Why Diversity Matters. And then another report delivering through diversity in 2018, this new report, How Inclusion Matters, that came out in 2020, looked at not only diversity 
ethnically and culturally, but also by gender. Um, uh, sorry, inclusion ethnically and culturally, but also with gender. So the report has some great stuff about gender, and that could be a whole topic that we could discuss at another time. But I want to dig into some of the numbers with you guys about, and not only the numbers, but some of the processes that they looked at within these companies that are very successful at diversity inclusion, and and then the numbers that that leads to. Sweat CBD. CBD has become increasingly popular for treatment of pain, anxiety, focus, sleep, and more. We've partnered with Sweat CBD, who delivers 100% natural, full-spectrum CBD oils, gummies, and lotion. Head over to Sweat CBD and use code ATVANTAGE, that's A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E, for 10% off at checkout. And as, you, as you're pulling that up, the context here, just to be crystal, crystal clear, <laughs> there are several reasons why diversity matters, as we all know. But for those who still are having a hard time getting it, I understand it makes dollars and cents too. So we're going to talk today's focus is about the dollars and cents in terms of good business practice for why diversity and inclusion matters. If you are having a hard time dealing with the humanity side of things and, you know, uh, the value ascribed to human beings side of things. So go ahead, Adam. So in this report, they found that diverse companies are more likely to financially outperform their peers. And so that was looking at, you know, returns on investment over long periods of time and tracking it by each quarter. And they just found that if you have a more diverse skill set, a more ethnically diverse population within your company, then your company is going to do better than others. And again, this was a thousand large companies, 15 countries, very robust data. They they track, I mean, McKinsey is one of the most well-regarded firms in the United States. So 31 were those 31 of those companies were in the United States. And then what I thought was really interesting is that they broke it down by different sectors and healthcare is a sector. So that I think pertains to our conversation the most, given athletic training is a healthcare profession. Now, let's be clear for listeners, the the athletic trainers are not included in any of this data, but we can extrapolate a lot of things from how that would relate to athletic training. Does that make sense? Definitely. So Alicia, as a business owner and a very successful business owner, I think can speak to some of these points. And I would love to hear, I know, Alicia, you read through this report. I would love to hear some of your thoughts about um, how we can relate this to athletic training. And you, you are the prime intersection for our conversation because you're an athletic trainer. You're a very successful business owner. And I think you recognize the importance of diversity and inclusion. And an even better human being. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, first of all, I appreciate that this is being looked at by large companies. I think that the conversation around this, kind of to your point, Chris, is that um, even if people are struggling from the humanity aspect, which I'm struggling if you're struggling with the humanity aspect, but sometimes the objective or black and white data is what speaks to people, if you will. And I think, so I'm going to zoom out and then I'll zoom back in. So my zoom out is 
diversity and inclusion is not a silo. This is not something that, well, people are now, but this is not something that you just wake up one day and say, I want to diversify and, inc and, and include. I want to make sure that there's representation across my board, across my leadership. Like I said, people are starting to think about that now, which is great. You know, I don't want to shame those people, but the the I would venture to say that the organizations, the companies that were included in this are people who believe in this from a foundational standpoint. And what I mean by believe in this is they treat people as people, right? So yes, they see their color. Yes, they see their gender. Yes, they see their cultural aspects, their culture, you know, what makes them who they are. And they say yes anyways. They don't say, oh, that's a black man. How's that going to look on the board? What are our shareholders going to say if we choose a woman as a CEO? What, you know, the CFO has a Middle Eastern background. What are people going to think about that? No, these I would I would assume are people who see all of that and make the decisions that they're going to make anyways. And the reason I say that is because profit follows. When you treat people well, when you have a culture that is embedded in values and treating people how people should be treated, then the money is going to take care of itself. And so I know that we're, again, this is my zoomed out conversation. I know that we're no, talking about- That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, I know that we're talking about diversity and inclusion, but- the fact is that you don't just arrive at having a diverse representation. You don't just arrive at having included. It is micro decisions that you make every single day. Oh. And it is a culture that you develop over time of what you will stand for and what you will not stand for. And that permeates everything that you do. It permeates every client that you bring on or that you choose to do business with, every person that, you know, whether you're in a brick and mortar store, how you treat that customer, these biases are things that live in our subconscious. So as we're coming through whatever the, the, the culture or the organization is, these are things that are going to present itself in every single moment that we show up for. So zooming all the way in now as an athletic trainer, you're responsible for the culture in your facility and you have the potential to affect the culture at your organization. So if you have biases that you're carrying and take this bias, I talk about this in one of my other podcasts, your bias might be that cheerleaders aren't a sport. And so you dismiss any cheerleader that comes into your athletic training facility thinking that whatever injury or ailment that they might be presenting isn't serious. And so you dismiss them. That creates a culture of dismissiveness. And it's easy in our minds. We find ways to legitimize things that other people will agree to. And that has been the societal, the cultural problem in America is that we've gone on and on and on from a, a racial perspective of inclusion, non-inclusion, diversity, lack of diversity, because other people around us have agreed with it. They've gone along with it. They, even if they see something that maybe 
makes them feel uncomfortable, they didn't speak up about it. And it's the same thing that happens in athletic training facilities. When we don't advocate for our patients, when we don't advocate for ourselves, when we don't have boundaries, all of these things, it is a culture that you create. And it's the same thing here in my business. There are things that we will stand for and there are things that we will not. That is how a client treats us, how a client treats an athletic trainer, how an athletic trainer treats themselves, how all of the different interacting parts treat the patient. So from a business standpoint, I think for you know diversity and inclusion, it is about the things that we're willing to say yes to. And a yes is as much as is staying silent. And it's also a verbal yes. And so the, you know, from running a successful business, running a successful athletic training facility, running a successful career, it's all about how we approach these things. I I love how you really continue to talk about the culture of the organization and you were making a hundred percent sense. And so my Doctoral education, I specialize in organizational behavior and leadership within healthcare, right? We got a doctor in the building. And, and so speaking of the organization's culture is, is what's what's important because you can't just say, oh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to diversify my organization and just hire, you know, people from different races, people from different genders and religious backgrounds. And OK, my organization is good. Like, no, the culture of your organization has to be built on doing the right thing, right, by those people. And then that will naturally happen. Like, I understand a lot of organizations now are, like, purposefully going out and trying to hire a diverse workforce, but it has to be more than just obtaining the parts. You have to have, your machine has to be able to run properly in order for the desired results, right? And so it's very important that the organization not only diversifies within their organization, but they have the appropriate things set in place to be able to effectively, I guess it's more like change management, right? Because they're they're changing the culture of their organization. So you have to have the correct things in place um, in order to facilitate that change and and have a good foundation. And it starts with with the workplace culture. Right. And, and so I've been a part of multiple workplaces uh, within the athletic training profession where there's just poor culture and it shows in turnover. It shows in the ability of the production. athletic trainer. Yeah. The, the production. Right. It shows <laughs> in morale. Yeah. Morale, like everything. Right. And, and it's 100 percent the culture. And until the organization sits and they understand that, OK, we have a, we have a problem with our workplace culture. Right. Not not that it's not diversified. I was in diversified workforces, but the leadership did not understand how to appropriately manage a diversified workforce, right? So it's mm-hmm. not something that you can just put in place and, okay, we're good. You have to do that continuous quality improvement, right, of the of the organization. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I think that's why what Alicia was saying was key, where it's like, it's not just this, you wake up all of a sudden and just say, I want to diversify, I can keep going, Adam, but I, I hopped in before you were going to say something. Well, what you guys are talking about right now and what Christian just described is what is evidence from this McKinsey report. So they looked at, they stratified kind of to three groups, the most successful companies. And we're talking big companies like Citigroup and large health organizations, billion dollar companies. 
the most successful were ones who were diverse and inclusive in their culture. The second group had diverse leadership or maybe diverse workforce, but weren't very inclusive. And that inclusion was measured for the first time in this report ever in in a business, in some business research. The inclusion was measured by the employees themselves. So they sent many, many surveys to assess inclusion from the employees. We've partnered with online-therapy.com, a complete counseling toolbox where you get all the support and tools you need to be happier based on cognitive behavioral therapy. Head to opportune.at slash online therapy to get started for free and enjoy 20% off your first month of therapy. And just to be clear, let's give some working definitions of diversity and, and inclusion. Because we're using those, a lot of people, I think sometimes we use those words interchangeably, but there are some distinctions. So go ahead, just, you know, Adam, not to put, yeah, just what the- You're good. I'm ready for this question. We all can kind of define it for the sake of our conversation. Well, let's talk about it in the context of this report. Diversity was ethnically diverse individuals and inclusion was by multiple factors. So they looked at indicators like equality, openness, and sense of belonging. And in this report, they define those as the core components of inclusion. So you had a group at the top that was very diverse in inclusion in their business practices, and they were the most profitable. You had a group of companies in the middle that were diverse, did not have a very inclusive culture, and were less profitable. And then they looked at, they had a group of companies that weren't very diverse and weren't inclusive in their practices. And those companies had the worst performance in terms of profits. The analogy that came to my mind as Alicia was talking, I wonder, I wasn't around then, but I wonder when, <laughs> when the invention of color TV came around, I wonder if there were a few people who were opposed to color TV, you know, because everything was black and white, right? And when when the color TV came around, I, I kind of feel like for those organizations or individuals who are having a hard time seeing color or who maybe they wouldn't even say they're having a hard time. Some folks actually pride themselves on not seeing color. It seems as though it's like, I'm fine with my black and white TV and it's wor- it's been working really well this far as opposed to like, man, there is so much more to the picture that you're missing and you can't really fully appreciate because of the limitation of your television. It's, and by the way, for some people, for most of us, a lot of what we see on, on TV to stay with the analogy is our reality, right? So then it is just this perpetual reinforcement that might be unconscious even that <laughs> reality is black and white as opposed to reality is full of color of, and nuance. And yeah, so no matter how we slice it, whether it's the color piece or even today for us, you know, we, we've been using color. All we know is color for the, for the most part, for those of us here on the, on the podcast show. But now, you know, 4K and 1080p. And, you know, I, my 12-year-old son is talking about, oh, is it 1080p? Or is it, th-? I'm like, boy, what? Who? I don't. Man, I don't know. But the reality is the more we're starting to talk about this diversity and inclusion stuff is I think can be very similar to how we're trying to sharpen the images 
of this reality that we're dealing with where it's like, okay, look, man, we moved from black and white to color TV and then from color TV to now talking about pixels and 480 and 720 and 1080 and now we're at 4K. And so, so there is, you can't do that overnight. Back to Alicia's point, right? And I like that, that piece about there has to be these micro decisions that need to be made that help perpetuate and that help promote even the, the end goal that we're seeking after. I want to go back to something that Kristen said, a few things that Kristen said. So this idea around putting someone in a position to essentially check a box, that's tokenism. That is, you know, the... the that is what we don't want to do. That is ineffective at best and dismissive and terrible at worst. Like to promote somebody, to place somebody in a position simply so that you get the outward acknowledgement that, yep, that's a black woman or yep, that's a Middle Eastern man, you know, whatever it is. Um, tokenism is its own problem, and that is what that is. Absolutely. Now, the the thing I want to go also want to touch on about morale production is taking the conversation back to business. In my business, there is no reason on paper why I should have the attrition, the amount of people who stay with me that I do, okay? I offer part-time positions. I don't have health benefits available to these people. I don't have things that most people look for in work opportunities. Contracts, and I, contracted positions, I, right? They are contracted positions, yes. Now, partially it's because I purposely seek out people who are wanting that kind of work. A lot of them are multi-professionals, they're mothers, they have other obligations in their life that they only want to work part-time. But I have greater than an 85% retention. Thank you, retention. <laughs> I have greater than 85% retention year over year. That's with my athletic trainers. With my clients, we're well over 90%. And the, the percentage of people that we kind of like offload year over year are positions that we're turning into full-time positions that we're handing over to the district. So on paper, there's no reason why people should stay with me as long as they do. There's no reason. I'm not the cheapest option out there. In many situations, I'm one of the most expensive options for a district to contract out to. On paper, there is no reason why these people should be staying with me, why I should be successful. And you know why? It's because of morale. It's because of how we treat people. One of the first things my HR manager told me when I hired her is people don't quit jobs, they quit people. True. And if you, right? Like, <laughs> we are so much more inclined to keep ourselves in situations where we feel seen, we feel heard, we feel represented, we feel like we matter. And it's those intangibles that this study is attempting to capture. And what it ends up translating to is dollars. And I can attest to it on paper. I can't carbon copy this. I can't go and give a one-time seminar and say, this is how you run a million dollar business in an athletic training industry. I can't do it because it's the culture that is, and you can't replicate that. Anybody out there 
in athletic training, they can try to duplicate my images. They can duplicate my business model. They can, they'll never, no offense, have the success that I do because it's about how you treat people. And that comes down to micro decisions. I'm going to tell you when COVID hit businesses, our, our school districts, they started closing, right? As we're well aware, I got on the phone and called every single one of our school districts and said, I know that the governor has honored your guys' budget through the end of the year, even though you're not having schools open. Will you please honor the fullness of our contract with you so that I can pay my athletic trainers? Wonderful. Every single one of them, except for two, not district sites, said yes. I kept athletic trainers paid when there was no sports going on because of my relationships with people. And those athletic trainers are going to come back to me. I've also, every single contract, again, all of our contracts are in California. That state has been closed for ever. <laughs> every single one of my athletic trainers has been paid yeah. since August. That says a lot about your culture. And what you and Kristen have stated has been documented in this report. Promoting diversity does not ensure a culture of inclusion. I'll give you guys some numbers to, to really hammer this point home. But the overall sentiment amongst a thousand of these companies, 52% felt positive on diversity, that they worked in a diverse workforce. But only 29% felt positive on inclusion. So the tokenism you described things that Kristen was describing in his experience, you can't just make a diverse group of people be inclusive. You have to have a culture that gives the inclusion and a culture that gives buy-in to your workforce to continue to work at the highest level possible. And we're giving some examples of why diversity can, in, can lead to that, but I just want to make sure that we're all saying the same thing, I think, which is diversity is not enough. You must have an inclusion practice, and that comes from the culture of your workplace. And it will impact your bottom line for business. In the end, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> in case you don't care about none of this other stuff, right? <laughs> it will put Money. dollars in your bank account if that's what makes you tick. The return, yeah. Let me add a piece there, Adam, about the inclusion, because um, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Stay on it. Part of, <laughs> part of the reason why I started this company and why I've continued in the way that I have is because there is not inclusion in athletic training of people who want to practice in ways that don't look like a specific archetype. There is so much shame in this profession around people who want to work part-time, who want to be mothers and take weekend gigs. And fathers. And fathers. Thank you, Chris. Parents, period. Yep. Um, people who have a CSCS or a personal training cert certification and want to do that in the mornings, who are full-time caregivers to uh, disabled children or elderly parents. Keep like, going. I, I mean, it is bananas how much shame that we have put on people who don't practice in a way that we 
approve of? I don't, I don't even know. Like, I don't, you know, and, and whether that is setting specific or whatever it is. And I am seeing that why we're so successful is because we're giving people permission to stay in this profession and practice in a way that is authentic to them. We've created a space where people can say, I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I don't even want to work 40 hours a week. Like low key, I kind of want to leave the profession, but I, but I, I've spent all these years doing it. I have all these degrees and I, you know, don't have any other thing right now that I can lateral to. So I'm going to pick up weekend gigs. I'm going to work part-time at a high school. I'm like, I need to be home by six o'clock at night so that I can put my kids to bed or so that, you know, I can, do whatever it is else that you have going on. So inclusion is a also a larger conversation around allowing people to practice how they want to practice, how it fits into their life. And I think that's kind of the, the, the market that we've cornered is people want purpose-driven work. And more and more, if you can find that, you're going to stick with it. And you're going to have the fulfillment from that. We keep looking to all these external things to be fulfilled, a dollar amount, a setting, a title. No, I can tell you that these people who work with us are some of the most satisfied athletic trainers that are out there because they're in a culture that provides inclusion. And for those people of color, it is more compounded right? That shame you were talking about is compounded for people of color or for other minority groups that can't fit that archetype. Full stop. Right. Because a lot of times we come, I'm going to talk about my own experience, right? I think I could speak for others too, but I'll just, I'll very, I'll talk about me confidently stepping into this profession already under the sad reality that the starting line for me is way back, back here somewhere simply due to the color of my skin, due to a lot of a lot of and a lot of things that that translates to. And so coming into the profession to hit on some of those things like, man, if you're not working 60 hour weeks and if you're not da 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 for some archetypes, they're just considered like, okay, yeah, we're well, not willing to do the time. But then for a black, as a black man, I'm already fighting against the stigma that black people are lazy. We don't like to work. We don't and it's like actually dog I have a family, like I'm married. I'm one of the very few people who entered the athletic training education program, like with a serious committed relationship and have vision and dreams to be married and had kids early. You know, we started our family young and yeah, all of that. So yeah, I'm, I remember having a conversation with one of the coaches that I worked with in my tenure and he's like, yeah, I want you to be with the team. I'm going to be at home reading Dr. Seuss books to my kids. And I'm like, so am I, so am I. So that's how come I'm having this conversation with you, coach, that you can't just sit and tell me that this is what you want done as though that's not a value for me too, you know? So and we need, we need to normalize those boundaries in this profession yeah. that what is good for you is also good for me. I'm a human too. I have a family too. And, look, and family me, doesn't yeah. just mean kids. Right. Family could that's mean, right. yeah, a, a partner, a dog, a, a sure. parent. Yeah. And one last thing, Kristen, and share your, I know you have a story that you want to share about this. This is an important concept. We talk about absenteeism as a bad thing, right? It's not something that is uh, becoming of a person, right? And absenteeism being like, man, this person never shows up. Where are you? Where have you been? And, and I agree with that. 
But there's this other thing called presenteeism that's just as bad, if not more toxic. And that's this idea where it's like, I just have to be present for the sake of being present. And I'm sitting here wasting companies' time. I'm wasting my own time. I'm wasting everybody's time because I'm present. You know, gotta, gotta be here. And don't get me wrong. I'm all good with putting in the time and putting in the hours, right? Athletic trainers are first to show, last to go. I think that's a very strong and that's something to be said about. Like, that's something that you should work towards. That's a good work ethic to have. But that's, there's a fine line between that and this idea of presenteeism, right? At Vantage is the premier provider for non-traditional work, advocacy, and resources while pushing the boundaries of athletic training. Follow them on social media at The At Vantage and join their email list for an even deeper dive into all things non-traditional and access to more boundary-pushing content. So, Chris, give us your story. Man, yeah, there's so much. And as you were talking about presenteeism and, and all that, like, you know, all these experiences that I've been through kind of overwhelmed me and are popping in my head. And so when I was in undergraduate school, beginning of my last year, I had uh, football. I was working UNLV football. Um, I was taking 21 units because I didn't want to take summer school. And the culture of working football was you're doing 40 plus hours a week, right? Went, went away to camp, probably did like two a days, get up at 5 a.m., get in bed at 11, and did that for 11 days straight, right? And so that just didn't sit right with me. And this is not even a story I wanted to share, but that, that did not sit right with me. And so kind of raised a little ruckus. And when I finally had to sit down with the program director and things like that and just kind of let them know like how it was not conducive to, like I understand that's how it always worked, but that it didn't work for me. And it, it wasn't something that should be normalized. And I can say that the very next year, the entire program changed, specifically with how time was managed for the student ATs, where they were not doing over 20 hours a week, no matter where they were. Kristen, that's huge. Yeah. That's, that's massive. Good for you. <laughs> and, and so, but that's not even the story I wanted to touch on. And so, Alicia, when you were talking about the different type of athletic trainers, right, you have your mothers who just want to work a couple hours, you you have all these different people and you're speaking directly of a, a, a diverse workforce, right? You have diversity in people just on how they want to show up to work. And so I spent 10 years of my working life working with and for the Walt Disney organization. So I spent four years as a cast member and then another six in, a, in another capacity as a contractor. Well, what character you play, dog? No, no, no. Oh, that's right. Disney calls their employees cast members. Yeah, cast members. Uh, yeah, right. And, and so, and, and again, that just goes to the culture, right? Every role is a starting role, and they really buy into that culture. And so a lot of people ask, like, well, why do so many people work at Disneyland? And it's a poor-paying job. And it's because they have a really good culture. Right. And, yeah. and they really put everything into their storytelling and and getting you to understand that that you're actually the one to make the magic. It's not Mickey. It's not Tinkerbell. <laughs> right. It, it, oh, it, my God. It's, I love that. <laughs> that's Aww. solid. Right. It's every that's free business advice. It's every single cast member, um, or, you know, all the way down to the, the custodial worker. And I don't everybody. Right. The candy maker. And so Walt Disney built his parks on four keys and their safety, courtesy, efficiency and show. Okay, and those are, have always been the four keys of how the parks operate. And so as Disney has taken on more entities, right, ESPN and all those other organizations, they don't necessarily 
operate or they haven't necessarily operated with those four keys. And so after the pandemic and the summer and everything that happened, the head of the parks came out and said, guess what? I'm going to add a fifth key to the way that Disney operates. Right. And he got mad. He talked about how he got mad pushback from key stakeholders and high up people like, what? These are Walt Disney keys. You can't change them. He said, well, oh, you don't like that? Well, good. I'm doing my job. And so that fifth key is inclusion. And speaking about culture, the fact that you can still remember this and you're not an employee of Disney. like Yeah. And, and so it was inclusion. And, and I can tell you everything that I've learned about the way that an organization runs efficiently and is inclusive and is diverse and puts their employee first has been firsthand from my firsthand experience with at the Walt Disney Organization, which is why they're one of, if not the biggest organization and prosperous organization in the world. Yeah, I actually have two two more examples of that. So my husband worked at Apple for five years. And I don't know if any of you have taken notice, but when you walk into an Apple store, the person who is greeting you probably is all over the spectrum in terms of color, identity. So basically in Apple, like their sole focus is how you treat the customer, right? And in when my husband worked at Apple, there were people who had facial hair down to the middle of their chest. There were people who had gauges, you know, their ears are gauged and they have, you know, huge holes. They have people who are 65 plus years old. They have blind people. They have deaf people as employees that are greeting you at the Apple store. They have, I mean, I could go on and on, short, tall, you know, all across the range. And one of the things that attracted my husband to working at Apple and one of the things that kept him there for so long was the people. Now, this is a retail position and historically retail positions have high turnover, terrible hours. The employees are, you know, historically miserable. And the other thing with retail positions is oftentimes they're based on commission. Apple does not have a commission structure, even though they're selling some of the most expensive products out there. And at least when my husband worked there, this was from 2012 to 2017, they were the highest paid employees per square foot of retail space. So their next closest competitor was Tiffany's, which means that Apple employees were compensated more highly than people who worked at Tiffany's, the jewelry store. And I bring this up to say the same thing that you're saying, Kristen, like, there were, there's times when you get frustrated with your manager, when, you know, all of those things, right? But you stay because the people that you're working with, in his case, he was being compensated well for the, for the job that he was doing. And the other example that comes to mind for this is I'm currently reading the book called Good Company by Arthur Blank. Arthur Blank is the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. He also owns the Atlanta United, which is the MLS team. And he's a former co-founder of the Home Depot. And Kristen, similar to Walt Disney, he has foundational principles. He calls them the three Ps, which is people, profit, philanthropy. So his thing is that those in his mind are equal. The profit 
is no more important to him than the philanthropy. The people are no less important to him than the profit. And so I think we all know Home Depot, massive company. The the Atlanta Falcons, he's completely turned around and um, you know built the Mercedes-Benz Stadium there that brings tons of large events. He has the Atlanta United, which has won the championship, I think, two years in a row. Um, and he talks about, if anybody's looking for examples of how to understand inclusion in your business, I would highly recommend listening to, picking up, reading Arthur Blank's Good Company, um, because it speaks to all of these qualities in how, again, the things that the you can't put down on paper, you can't quantify why he was successful. He shouldn't have been given the circumstances he was given, and yet he was, and it's because of the culture that he has created. MedBridge provides evidence-based courses, unlimited CEUs, home exercise programs featuring 600 plus exercises and much more. Use promo code THEADVANTAGE, that is T-H-E-A-T-V-A-N-T-A-G-E to get an annual MedBridge subscription for as low as $200. So we we talked about earlier about that culture and, and about the continuous quality improvement. And I think a company to look at is Starbucks. Because like Apple, Starbucks was one of those companies where you can go, you can see people with gauged ears, tattoos, long beards, right? They, they really focused on diversity and their inclusion. However, we already know Starbucks has been in deep water multiple times, right? And then what did they do? They took a step back and said, okay, we need to shut down for a day and, and do some diversity and inclusive training, right? Um, they, they weren't bigger than themselves. And so... They took ownership and said, okay, well, where is it that we need to make make the adjustments and, and make the appropriate changes? Um, and, and I think that that's important. Like, it's not one of those things where it's like, okay, yes, I'm diverse and yes, I'm inclusive and I'm out of the woods. Like, no, it's something that you continuously have to... You never arrive. You never arrive. And as athletic trainers, as healthcare providers, what you just said, taking that Taking, taking a beat, taking a moment, taking a pause, whether that's, you know, in between, you know, semester breaks, if you're in a traditional setting, if that's in between seasons, if that's wherever it is in your kind of life cycle of work in the setting that you're in, taking a moment to say, even from a quality improvement standpoint, like do a check-in, do a reflection of, you know, not just diversity, but inclusion. And it could be as simple as, dang, I dismissed that dancer and didn't take her patellar tendonitis seriously, or, you know, I, whatever it is, whatever form that takes. Yeah. I think we've given enough examples here that inclusion is so much bigger than just a race conversation, though that is a big part of it. And that diversity does not equal inclusion. Exactly. And I want to continue to tie this into athletic training and sports medicine based on some evidence, because we've talked a lot about businesses and what make them successful. But a lot of athletic training settings are, are not based on productivity or financial performance. But forget I said productivity. They're not based on financial performance. One thing that I want to note, again, based on evidence, is that it employees' experience of inclusion in the workplace matters enormously to them, but it's not always aligned with the company's inclusion practices and it's not always aligned with maybe your head athletic trainer, for example. So inclusion is 
independently related to each person's preferences and ideals and culture and background. There's evidence that inclusion is closely linked to employee engagement, which you guys have talked about in a lot of these companies that you have described. That in turn leads to retention, productivity, and financial performance. Now, the reason I brought up financial performance not really being in some traditional settings of athletic training is because I want some of this topic to resonate with athletic trainers, particularly ones in leadership positions, so that they understand that if you are catering to an individual inclusion amongst your workforce, you will have better retention and productivity, which Alicia, you've given us an exact example within your athletic training workforce. What do you guys think about what I have just said in related in relation to athletic training? Well, and I'll just start generally in retaining people and attracting people. That's so for institutions or organizations, because here's the thing. A lot of athletic trainers are not working in business settings that they think they can influence. But if you have this mindset, if I work for a college or a university and I understand the bottom line in terms of dollars and cents of inclusion and diversity, then I'm able to, (laughs) hopefully the person at the top of my organization has some understanding of this, but we realize that maybe they don't. But then I can, you can take this stuff to them and show them that, hey, retention actually is helping our tuition dollars. It's helping get butts in seats. You know, it's helping get certain types of butts in seats, certain color butts in seats, you know. Um, so you I want a number for that. <laughs> yeah. Should I give you some yeah, data? Go ahead. Yeah. So the businesses in this thousand group of the McKinsey Report that were in the top quartile for their organization in employee engagement had nearly double the odds of success. Double. So again, we're not maybe talking about profit in athletic training settings. We're not necessarily talking about profit, but do you want to double your odds of success? However, you define success. So Adam, I want to jump in here because what you said in the beginning of this was in in the beginning of this portion is that there is potentially a delta between employee culture and company culture. And I actually think that that is where an athletic trainer lives. That is why we are who we are, because we can come in and affect change within our locus of control, which is typically our department, our teams, our facility. And a lot of times we have control over that. You know, a lot of times your supervisor isn't showing up in your space or, you know, if they are, they're just kind of popping in and popping out. And so I embody the, uh, the motto being the change I wish to see. And I think that this is the space where athletic trainers can double down or double their effectiveness in how they create a culture And then as a result of that, demonstrate to their leadership, like what Chris was saying, collect data on it, you know, be able to represent what that is in a way that matters to people who control the purse strings. And that is something that I think is a pretty straightforward action item in terms of I've listened to this podcast. That's great. Everything that they're talking about, what do I do? How does this apply to me? I'm going to tell you, you are in control of your culture, 
of what you have your immediate hands on. That's those patients. That's, you know, those processes, those, you know, whatever it is in your setting, take ownership of that and figure out how in one small action that you can increase inclusion, not just diversity, inclusion, and start documenting that, even if it's, you know, outside journaling for yourself. I'm not saying documented in medical form necessarily. I'm saying documented because all the things that we're talking about here, culture and and, and belonging and you know um you know the openness that that we have in our in our settings, they're the intangibles. They're things that our leadership may not be able to quantify quantify, like what Chris was saying with butts and seats. But I'm here to tell you that, like you said in the study, it will double your revenue. It will double what you're able to produce when people trust you, when people feel like they belong, when people feel like, you know, all the things that we already know about relationship building with our patients, but do that for yourself in your situation. And that's, that's the focus. So we can make sure that, Hey, it can affect your pocketbook at the end of the day. And we can't rely on other people to do this for us. We Again, we don't arrive at inclusion. If you are not taking action in your setting, what would make you think that anybody else is? So if we want to effectively change this profession, if we want to ensure that in 10 years, we're not having the same conversation, it is your responsibility. Who is listening? To do this. Yeah. And I'm going to go step back one. Sorry, Chris. Go ahead. One other step prior to that, because Alicia keeps bringing up, if you have to first impact this in your setting that you have a locus of control over before you even start thinking about your institution or your organization that you're a larger part of, that's a, you know, the most locus of control you have is over yourself. So if you're not practicing diversity and inclusion in your own life, how about let's start there? Starts with self, always. Yep. And, and so... I wanted to bring bring it all together with it's the same concept of trickle down economics. We already know it doesn't work. So don't sit back and wait for your organization to change and then tell you what to do, right? ATA to change. <laughs> Start with yourself, right? And and that's how this podcast came to be. That's how at last came to be. Right? We're not sitting back and waiting for the powers that be to tell us like, okay, now you guys need to do this in California or, or you need to do this in in Fuada. Like, no, we said. We're being the change that we want to see, right? And, and and effectively through this podcast and having this conversation with each other and our listeners are listening and being inspired to take action of their own. That's how we're truly going to see the change that, that we want to see, not by waiting for the powers to be up high to tell us what to do. And to be clear, it's not just the podcast. The podcast is only serving a greater purpose, which is to highlight and to shine some light and turn our voices up on the conversations that we've already been having and illuminating the work that we already are doing. And so, yeah, it it still gets to that piece of it's a call to action. But still to your point, Kristen, it's like, hey, in the same way that we didn't have to get permission to do the things that we're already doing, look, we, we don't have to wait for it to trickle down to share this information with everybody else because we want to make sure we're not breaking any rules or irritating some people. What'd you say, Adam? We cannot wait. No, no. The the, the world can't wait. We'll wait forever. These these people, these kids in these inner cities, these underserved communities, they're tired of waiting. And if you're listening to this, 
and you've been waiting for permission, this is your permission slip. Here you are. Go. There you go. Yeah. Yep. I love in this McKinsey report, which we'll link to the show notes so people can read this if they'd like, but they literally conclude the paper with the business case for inclusion and diversity remains strong. Companies should act with urgency. This is very strong words. And that is part of at last initiative because I don't feel leadership in our state district and national organizations. I think they want to change. I think change for them is not going to be fast. It's going to take a long time. And so as you guys were, as Kristen alluded to, trickle down economics is not going to work. We can meet in the middle potentially, like let's start at the bottom and we'll eventually get to the top. They can start at the top and, and, and maybe it'll trickle down. But I think more people need to have actionable items of what they can do. And Alicia, you've given us some actionable items. I really hope people take away from this conversation that within their workspace, they can do things to be more inclusive. They don't need to wait for their leadership to do those. And maybe then the leadership will learn from those actions that people are doing in their workspace. <laughs> you can be a winner or a laggard. <laughs> that's what it says, right? The widening gap between winners and laggards. Yeah. And that's not a not a negative term, perhaps. Maybe some people will subjectively not like that word to be ascribed to them. But I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about. People who are behind the curve or behind the times, you're lagging, you know? Yep. And there will always be laggards. Change happens on a bell curve and there's early adopters and there's there's laggards and you just have to decide who you want to be. And, so good. and for those of us who are out here actually doing something or making attempts to do something, knowing that there will always be laggards is very strategic and helpful so that we're not caught off guard by the laggards. We're not wasting unnecessary effort or energy or taking things personal when the laggards are trying to critique. I think about Brene, right? All the way talking about like, unless you're down here in the arena getting your tail kicked and getting dirty and marred up with the rest of us, I really don't care about what you have to say. Yep. Because if you're going to sit in the stands and talk where you're comfortable and I'm actually out here fighting dragons, then you're, yeah, it's easy for you to talk about, you know? And That's what I say, boy, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bates, you, you mentioned um, how this podcast is allowing us to raise our voice, right? For And and we're all about raising the voice for the voiceless, right? And so for all of our athletic trainers out there who are in the trenches and are doing these things, we want to hear from you. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Sure. We want to highlight what you're doing. We want to potentially have you as a guest on our podcast. So please reach out to us. Yep. If there's things that we're missing, are there things that is there? If there's perspectives, absolutely, Chris. Um, that's that's it. Yeah. In the same way that Alicia's doing, we share, this is not just our platform, right? And I think that's the beauty of humanity when humanity is is operating as it should. Is we recognize that. It's not like it's not just minds. Athletic trainers, what if you could do more for your career, for your patients, for yourself? The Indiana State Doctorate of Athletic Training program can help you get there. You will learn the skills to practice at the top of your scope and show your value in healthcare. Interested? 
go to www.indstate.edu forward slash DAT for more information or to apply today. I guess I'll just throw in one other piece there is that athletic trainer, business owner, those labels are not who I am. And a lot of, I think, athletic trainers get wrapped up in that, that their entire identity is an athletic trainer. And maybe this conversation is an opportunity to separate those for yourself. Like you said, Chris, maybe applying diversity and inclusion in your professional setting feels too hard, feels like that's too much to start with. And so practice it in your daily life or vice versa. If you can see ways that you can do it in your professional life, but it's too hard to do it in your personal life, start there. And going back to your guys' conversation, like we have to start everybody. It is of massive importance that every single person you just try. You're allowed to get it wrong. You're allowed to say the wrong thing. We're allowed to fail and fail miserably if we're trying. You're in the arena. Yeah. You might get fire breathed on you by the dragon and that's okay. Like we have to allow space for people to not to, to mess it up, to yeah. you know, to not always be politically correct and you know, some people may take it more offensively than others, but if you're not trying, then that's the problem. And that's how we've gotten to where we have as a society and, and you know, as a result, all of the other niches from society, including our profession, you have to start taking action. And maybe it's you pick up a book, maybe you follow an Instagram account, maybe you just keep listening to this podcast, whatever action it is, you have to do it. Period. Lauren Hill's Lauren Hill's project, the Unplugged project. A lot of people don't like it, but she absolutely nailed it for me personally. Listening to that project because she talked. I mean, even the songs. I get out. I get out. I get out all your boxes. But then, even in some of her narratives, she's talking about this reality to where even when she was going to be with her parents and recalling an instance where she was with her mom and dad or, or her parents. And they were like, you know, what's going on with you? You've changed. You're different. And she said she had to get to a point where she she realized she can't just go into a setting and just bring in 30 percent of her. I like I have to bring in all of me. And so to your point about the labels that we use and we solely uh, we solely use to identify ourselves. Oh, I'm an athletic trainer. I'm a business owner. I'm a that's I think that is that that has become the problem when we get into our athletic training education programs and then we get our certification and then we do all these things we pride ourselves so much in that stuff that we forget about the pride and the value that we have inherently as humans first and foremost we need to pride it just as much being a mother being a human a daughter a yeah. sister a, a fa- whatever yeah. it is like those are as equally important to you and your life as being an athletic trainer and when we start to believe those things about ourselves and when we start to embody that that's when we build healthy boundaries that's when we get away from these conversations of i'm going to be reading my baby dr seuss but you're going to be here with the team no yeah. like i value it 
I value myself as a father as much as I do as an athletic trainer or whatever your role is. And I realize this may lean into a scope that is beyond me, but I know enough about it to be able to at least point it out now where I think there's a call to action too. If, if you're having trouble with this stuff, you know, I, our identity, wrestling with our identity and who we are is, is very critical, right? There's the saying, hurt people, hurt people. If we're not addressing the hurts in our own lives, specifically as it relates to identity, specifically as it relates to diversity and inclusion, maybe you've been excluded in areas in your life. Maybe you were excluded in your own home, right? Maybe you were left out in situations to where you were neglected or ignored or muted or fill in the gaps. That stuff, but guess what? You're not alone. There are many of us out here and it's the same thing, but this is permission to enter into those spaces as well, to trace this stuff back, man. Like there, there's a breach in the system somewhere. There's a breach in the system somewhere. So figure out where your breach is and then address that and patch that gap. And then we might see some of these other bigger gaps and disparities start to be filled in. I hear you guys talking about purpose, potentially defining your purpose, getting to know your purpose. We're going to have an episode in the future that probably gets into that. Chris, you were talking about some maybe history of trauma in one's life and mental health, and we're going to talk about that in a future episode. A lot of stuff to unpack. A key component of everything you guys have just described is if you are not doing some self-care, taking care of yourself, how are you treating your patients or athletes to the utmost of your ability? It's difficult to do that if you're not taking care of yourself. And part of taking care of self is making sure that the environment you work in is inclusive to your needs. Makes sense. C-E-N-T-S and S-E-N. <laughs> well, Alicia, it's been great having you. I think the boys and I have enjoyed your company more than anything, but especially we appreciate your experience and perspective, your support. And all the other things. Agreed. I, I Last night even, I was looking forward to recording this episode for several days because I knew we would have great conversations. So thank you, Alicia, for your time, for your knowledge, and for being vulnerable to share things on air with us. I knew this was going to be a great episode, and I just feel really humbled that you and, and Chris and Chris and you as well, that you guys are in my lives and I'm just super grateful. Absolutely. And, and I just want to thank you for everything that you've done for the profession of athletic training as an athletic trainer and as a, just a human being. And you, you talked about that during the episode. And so it can't be um, thanked enough just for everything that you and, and Maurice have done and continue to do so. Thank you. Yeah. If y'all don't know about Alicia at Vantage, A-T, Vantage, just like it sounds. Check them out. Great work. Go see them. Thank you, guys. Honestly, I, I feel those words. I, I really do. Um, and I also want to commend you guys for creating a culture on your podcast that allows your guests to speak openly and unapologetically. Because as we've spoken about in this entire episode, Holding space for others and giving permission is part of 
how we affect change. And I felt that in this episode, I, you guys held space for me to be able to say things that, you know, in other podcast shows or other episodes where I'm a guest on, I don't, I don't feel that permission. So I commend you guys on having hard conversation and allowing other people to be present in that. And I'm just excited to see where At Last goes and, and what you phenomenal gentlemen do with it. At Last.